got bad blood Now we got problems And I don't think we can solve them You made a really deep cut And baby, now we got bad blood Baby, now we got bad blood Never, ever, ever used to be mad Back together You're welcome. I'll explain. For maybe the first time in the history of the church. Not that. That happens a lot, unfortunately. There have been back-to-back gingers speaking. Let's get it. Come on. We will not be silenced. We will rise up from the ashes. I just got way aggressive and I apologize. I feel really good. I'm excited to be here tonight. Excited to share with you guys. We're in the second part. Sorry. Super weird. Oh, it's good. It's good. It's already starting off great. Uh, Second part of our Bad Blood series, looking at kind of the dark side of relationship and what it looks like to not just pursue relationships well, but the recognition in every relationship in our life, there are pitfalls and there are difficulties that we come across. And I get to attack dating, which is really fun. Uh, Because dating can be something that is really good, but the reality is we all have, if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles, I'll just say that. But if you look at your Bible, and and some of you have Bibles that in the way back have different types of indexes. Like mine in here has a table of weights and measures index. Never used it, don't know how to read it, but that's okay. Some Bibles have indexes that give themes. They have words. You can look in the back and there's this word that that is in there and it'll point you to the reference, to the page number and all that stuff. And yet, if you look in the back of your index, if one of your Bibles has that and you look up for the word dating, you will not find anything. Because the reality is, especially in biblical times, dating didn't exist. It's this new thing over the last few decades that we have come to know and experience uh, that's been a part of our culture that is real, that we press into. But the reality is it's not a part of anything in the Bible. There's nothing in there that addresses it that says anything about it. And the rea- even more so, the reality is that in biblical times, there wasn't a thing as dating. Like, to find a spouse, it was more like this weird bartering system because the reality, it wasn't about compatibility or your character, well, character was a part of it maybe a little bit, or chemistry or life goals. Like, that didn't matter. What mattered most in biblical times, specifically with this, and even in ancient times, was more family lineage and economic status. So it was more of a bartering system than a, hey, let's go get a cup of coffee. But that's just not the world we live in, right? And so we get to and have the amazing privilege privilege as followers of Jesus to try to figure out how to date well in a culture that emphasizes dating probably on an idle level and also realize and recognize it's just a part of how we go about entering into, and, and it's just an aspect of relationships that we have. What's beautiful about the Bible, though, is it doesn't leave us hanging. It points us in directions and gives us ideas of what it looks like to have interpersonal relationship. It helps us understand and gives themes and principles of how to act and even react to one another, on how to serve and love one another. So the, as I talk through tonight, I'm going to give four different either pitfalls or, or difficulties when it comes to dating specifically and especially as followers of Jesus. And in this, I want you to be encouraged, whether you are single in a dating relationship, engaged or married like myself. What's awesome about being married is I still date my wife. 
And in any area or season of your life, even with what Brennan said last week, there's something I believe that God has for you tonight. There's things in scripture that will be read that do apply to whatever season you're in. And so as we approach this, I think the first thing that I kind of want to address first and foremost is that dating does matter. Because the reality is everything in our life matters. Every aspect of relationship matters. And it matters and should matter to us because it matters to God. Otherwise, he wouldn't help and coach and encourage us on what it looks like to do relationships well with one another. And it matters because, and this is, this kind of, I know this is something that kind of torques Brennan off. Like, don't put this in your social media bio because he'll troll you. I'm just kidding. I don't know if he will or not. But there's some good, like, one-off scriptures that are just really good to take out of context and read, right, and really enjoy. That's a little bit of a joke. But... There's a scripture that says, now whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And we do all things, whether eating or drinking or whatever we do, for the glory of God because God cares about what happens in our life. So dating is important because whether we like it or not, most of us will enter into this process of dating. Now the hard part about this, and the number one point I want to make, is that we tend, and what's one of the most difficult aspects, especially with how our culture operates and defines dating, is we just don't date with a healthy purpose. We don't date with the right purpose. We tend to actually date with harmful purposes. Even think back to middle school. Like, I know for me, I didn't know what it meant to be in a relationship. All that mattered as, like, a seventh grader was that I could say I was a boyfriend to someone and I had a girlfriend. It was the classic, like, I'm just doing it because everyone else is doing it. And then mom would say, well, if everyone was jumping off a bridge, would you do that too? I was like, no, mom. But it's like, that's just what it was. Like, that was the purpose. It's like, there was no reason behind it. It's like, I'm just going to do it because everyone's doing it. Or then you get later and we get kind of more mature and you get into college and there's things about the college and young adult life that you just got to do, right? Like we are told or, or either whether we see it or, or know people who've experienced it, that some aspect of the college life, like, well, partying is just a part of the college culture and college life. It's what you're supposed to do. And we treat relationships and specifically romantic and dating relationships like, well, it's just something you're supposed to do. And, and something that has happened, a myth we've fallen into and, and believed is uh, we believe that the main purpose for dating, some of us even in this room, but definitely culture, is just for fun. It's for experience. Just trying to enjoy life a little bit. So I can use dating to do that. But ultimately what happens in that is we end up using people as objects for our own pleasure and satisfaction and not recognizing that people in our life that God has placed in our life have been there, that we would encourage them and they would be an encouragement to us, especially as followers of Jesus, especially in the church. To be able to walk alongside one another and love one another well, point each other to Jesus, encourage each other in our faith. See, to fall into the myth that dating, like you can just, the whole purpose of it is just to have fun and kind of get to know people and get different experiences is a selfish endeavor. And ultimately ends up being incredibly harmful. And so like I said, the Bible doesn't talk directly about dating, but it does speak volumes about relationships. And what we get in scripture, if you go back into Genesis 2, we get an aspect of a relationship. Now, Brennan addressed this incredibly well last week. He said that, we tend to, in the church, take uh, Genesis 2.18, says, so God created Adam, right? Created all, everything in the world. And Genesis 2 talks about this idea that there was no suitable helper for Adam. It's like, it was not good for man to be alone. And in that, we get this biblical principle, not that everyone should be married, but the reality that we are relational people. 
that you can find intimacy in relationship, right? Intimacy just does not just mean in romantic relationship. Intimacy is this reality of being vulnerable and having a connection with another soul, with another person. And it can be really beautiful. And then he goes on uh, in Genesis 2, and he kind of defines what marriage is for us. And he says, one of those aspects of not being alone is marriage. And he said, a man shall leave his wife, or sorry, I said this, in a, I did that in a ceremony once. I said, a man shall leave his wife. And we just laughed, because that's not what scripture says, because <laughs> that's not great. A man shall leave his father and mother, be united to his wife. They will become one flesh. And then my favorite, one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible and so it says that become one flesh. And it says, and Adam and Eve were naked and felt no shame. I love that scripture. That just, oh, I just, I do. I love that scripture. There's a lot of really cool moments about it. Anyway, skip. And so it defines marriage. And the very first thing says a man. And this doesn't give like this idea that men should initiate everything. I think we can have a good conversation on what it looks like. Should a woman initiate? Should a man initiate? What does that look like? What does that mean? I think we can have good conversations about it. I don't think it's super black and white. Um, I tend to lean one way, uh, but I think it's a good conversation. What this is saying, when a man leaves father and mother, it gives this sign and sense of maturity. It's saying you've gotten to the point in your life where you are able to leave your father and mother and come to a point to be united to a wife, to be united to another person, meaning you're able to say, I commit to you. I commit to be uniting to you and, be, and starting the process of becoming one flesh. That's marriage. And so if we think about dating for a purpose, ultimately we believe, and I believe as, as a follower of Jesus, that we should have a purpose behind dating and that purpose ultimately is marriage. There's a goal. There's a reason why I'm doing it. It's good to have a purpose and a biblical one at that for anything we do. The first date that me, like the first official date that me and Abby ever went on, it was a morning date, Saturday morning, and I took her to Perkins. Super classy. You're welcome. Guys, try it. But we had the conversation beforehand. We were good friends already. Like, we knew what we wanted. We knew what the goal was. Like, we knew what we were pursuing. And so, like, we went to Perkins. It was just one of those moments of, like, hey, let's just, like, it was kind of weird because it was our first, like, official kind of date. It was, and a date is an event that you take uh, some, uh, someone of the opposite sex to to be able to just get to know them better. Dating is the process, yes, where multiple dates happen, but dating is the process of evaluation to see, all right, is this someone I can marry and someone I can commit my life to? And so we had already had that conversation. We know what we want, and we're, so we're going to start dating. And so we went on this first date. And here's the difference between, I think, having a purpose behind why we date and not. I got horribly sick five minutes within showing up to this stinking restaurant. I got what Andy Dwyer calls bubble gut. I'm glad someone laughed at that. Parks and Rec, super funny. My stomach hurt. And it was in ways where it was like, it felt like it was going to come out either end. And I end up, over the next hour, getting up and going to the bathroom about every two to three minutes. This was our first date. If Abby had entered into this process of dating with, I just want to have fun, we wouldn't be together right now. Because I can tell you right now, that wasn't fun for her, and it absolutely was not fun for me. What ended up happening, because we both knew that one date and one experience shouldn't be, I think, a, a dictator of, of how the relationships should go or how, what we should do, she ended up, because again, we were on the same page, we knew what we were doing, like one experience wasn't going to destroy uh, this, per, this potential relationship. She ended up driving me home, like 
carrying me almost to my apartment, laying me down on the futon, because that's what I still had. And, and then she just left. But I remember even like the next day thinking, man, if we weren't in this for the right reason, there's no way I'd have another shot with her. So having a purpose can be a really, really good thing. God gave us marriage. It is a gift from him. It's one that he has um, not just invented, but a, a, an institution that he created for us as humans. And so what I'm going to go through next, we have this purpose. We know what the end goal is, is I'm going to go through, okay, what are aspects that can make dating really, really difficult? Because dating can be really hard. And there's three different things I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk about breakups. I'm going to talk about betrayals. And I'm going to talk about boundaries. And as we go through this again, I want you to be encouraged. I pray that you know God's heart for you in this, whatever you um, hear tonight, whether it's conviction and if that is the Holy Spirit doing something in your soul, I pray that, that you allow him to empower you to step into the things he's asking you to do. If it's, if it's condemnation, that's not from me, that's not from God, that's from the enemy. So he wants to distract you from hearing ultimately what God has for you tonight. But as we go through these, just, just seeing, like, okay, God, what's something in my relationship, something that I'm pursuing, something I'm expecting that isn't of you. So let's talk about it. number one. First thing that we see, and I think why um, dating can be really hard, is that we tend to see breakups as failures. But the reality is, the breakup in and of themselves doesn't have to be the failure. What we've done is we've created a culture, and we've created, I think, within ourselves, um, an idea of wanting to avoid breakups because then we've failed. But the reality is, is like breaking up isn't the failure. The failure isn't how we break up. It's the intentionality that we have behind breaking up. Because here's, here's also the reality. When you have, again, a purpose and an understanding, a goal for why you want to get married, want to date, is to get married, either that relationship that you now enter into, that dating relationship ends in two ways. You either get married or you break up. And that's okay. It's not a bad thing. But why are breakups hard? One, I think breakups are hard because we too, put too much pressure right away on getting the relationship right. We don't want to feel like we've wasted our time. Again, I think we want to kind of be intentional, but also I think there's outside pressure, even maybe from the stage or from family, that says like, all right, like some of you maybe go home and you went home for winter breaks, like, hey, how's your love life? Right? Oh, is there a special someone? It's like, why are you asking that? Like, Uncle John, get away. <laughs> like sometimes like, I don't, like I, you're the last person I want to talk to about this. But we, we feel this pressure. I think another reason why breakups are so hard is that, honestly, we have never learned how to have hard and difficult conversations, and we don't know how to do it well. And it's not even like we, it's not a conflict thing. It's literally just that we don't know how to have hard conversations. I like the Gophers. I'm a Jackrabbit fan first, calm down. But I like the Minnesota Gophers. I just do. They hired a coach five years ago for their football team called P.J. Fleck. And in his opening press conference, and Jaina and Brennan have heard me say this a ton because I love it, he says, I eat difficult conversations for breakfast. And it was hilarious to me. It's like, yep, that's me. I'm going to pursue and enter into difficult conversations because ultimately they can be really beneficial, but we just don't know how to do it. And guess what? When you break up with someone, that's a hard conversation. It just is. And it's awkward and it's weird. Even if you do it perfectly from your end. It's still awkward, it's still hard, and it's still weird. And then finally, I think we just want to be comfortable. And here's why I know this is true, because ghosting is a thing. Yeah, that's right. It just is. So we step away, we ignore, and ultimately what that ends up doing, one, it's rude and it's selfish. 
Because what that does is it creates a questioning within the person that you're ignoring of their self-worth, of time spent in the relationship. It questions their, your character in their eyes, which maybe it should. Like, we should not be ignoring people, but we do that. We ghost them because we don't want to enter in and have the difficult conversations. So how do you do it well? Doing breakups well. One, I'm going to start with this. Just when you know that, that you're in this dating relationship, you've been dating for a while, there's no time frame on this. A lot of what I'm going to say is going to be like vague statements, which is terrible and I kind of feel bad. But at the same time, I don't want this to be this like legalistic, this is how you have to do it. Because that's just not a reality. Relationships are messy. Like what? Childbirth. You're welcome. But at the end, when done well, what do you get? A beautiful life. I will use that analogy as many times as I can. It's just true. That's a real, I'll use it all the time. It's, it can be really messy and really weird. Um, so no timeline, nothing I'm really super specific. How to start it? When should you do it? When you know they're not the person that you think you should marry. If you know, like, I don't, I don't want to marry this person, that's a good win. That's a really good win. A why, uh, something we even get from scripture, scripture, 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about this idea of do not be unequally yoked to someone else when it comes in the context of your, uh, a marriage and a specific romantic relationship. And he goes on to talk about this idea of like, how can light be connected and unified even with darkness? It can't. And he says a believer cannot be connected and unified and yoked to an unbeliever. Because ultimately what that does is it creates a relationship where two people prioritize different things. And it makes it insanely difficult. So a why behind a breakup? My wife, I think, did this really well. She dated one other person in college that wasn't me or her high school boyfriend. One other person, she went on one date, figured out immediately that that person uh, wasn't a Christian. There's through action, through, the, the, she, she's really intentional about talking about her faith. She's really good at it because her dad is incredible at it. And so she asked questions about Jesus. And this guy wasn't following Jesus and not, didn't want anything to do with him. And so she waited a couple of days. She processed the conversation because that's who she is. She's internally processed stuff. And she knew she was supposed to break up. She wasn't supposed to uh, continue to date him or go on dates with him. And so she broke it off. And in that, it was really weird and really awkward, but she did it. And here's why one part, I shouldn't share this, but I'm going to. She said, she said, she called, and, and we'll talk about this a little bit too. She called him and he answered the phone and goes, hey, beautiful, they've been on one date. Guys, don't do it. Don't do that. It's awkward. Like, it's weird. And that just honestly for her confirmed, okay, I'm making the right decision. Because <laughs> it was awkward. But that's a good why. And then there are other whys that, honestly, you gotta figure out what you want. I think there's aspects of making a list of what you wanna see that can be really, really unhealthy. And there's some things that maybe making a list to see like what you want in a future spouse can be healthy. Like I wanted my future spouse to really be passionate about Jesus and love Jesus. That had to be a priority. I also wanted my future spouse to be gentle and compassionate and kind. Because that's what scripture asks us to be. And Abby is that. But some, real quick, throw up that list. I don't remember who's doing slides for me, but here's a few things I'm gonna run through on how to do this intentionally, at least. I'm not even gonna say how to do it well. Number one, just be honest. Just be honest. Legitimately just tell the truth. If there's a reason, like, that you're breaking up with them, tell them. Be honest. 
absolutely just be honest with them. And if there's some aspect of relationship that's kind of there, that it's not a new relationship, if there's something that you can see while still being, and we'll talk about being gracious and gentle, while being gentle and kind and compassionate, if you can say, you know what, this is just something that I've seen in you, and that's a red flag for me. And if they ask questions, enter into that conversation. It can be really weird. But if you can't say that without being kind, don't say it. But just be honest. Number two, don't shift the blame, but take responsibility. To say God told me so is a terrible reason to break up with someone for multiple reasons. Number one, what you're doing is creating a bad um, image of who God really is in that person's mind. And two, what you're doing is you're not taking on the responsibility to say, you know what, I actually don't want to continue in this relationship. It's okay to say that. It's okay to say that. Bring clarity. Where, and I, I, I don't know where I heard this first, but where there's a lack of clarity, there usually is an abundance of confusion. When I'm not clear, when I'm not really clear on kind of what I want or what to do, I'm confused. And so if I don't give clarity on kind of why I want to end the relationship, or even if I don't ask clarifying questions, I just get confused. I don't know about you guys, but in relationships, I'll get, I tend to like think about it and stew on it, and then it just makes me frustrated. But bring clarity. This is, and you guys all love Jesus, so you've never seen How I Met Your Mother. But there's an episode of that show where there's this, like, they follow the characters around and they have these people that they, like, kind of keep in their life that could be, like, potential suitors. And they use this two-word phrase. I don't know if you guys know this two-word phrase. Like, you know, I can't date you right now. That's confusing. That's dragging along, especially when you know I don't want this to go further. Bring clarity. And honestly, be clear if there's something within you that needs to be worked on. I think some of us enter into relationships and we start dating because we think we want to be committed to someone else and we want to be married. And then we get into that relationship or start dating someone and realize, man, I don't know if I'm ready to commit myself to someone. Say that. It's okay to be clear and honest. If possible, tell them in person. Absolutely don't text them and please don't ghost anyone. Texting is confusing. It's hard to interpret. It just is. It's hard. It's the inflection stuff, the English language, all the things. If possible, tell them in person. Phone call's okay. Don't wait. Amber Hobby, who I love to death, she works at a church with us. Her motto is do it now, do it now, do it now. Use her motto and what it looks like to break up with someone. And then uh, lastly, be gracious and gentle. Ephesians 4. Again, the scripture gives us ideas of how do we are to interact with one another. It says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen, and then be kind and compassionate to one another. Um, and honestly, when we don't do this, and we don't do this well and intentionally, it leads to the second difficult thing about dating, and that's betrayal. Betrayal is real. And betrayal ultimately happens in dating um, because of a break of trust. And the suffering of betrayal and the act of betrayal is often magnified by a sense of vulnerability and of exposure. So dating happens and you start to get to know each other and then you open up about different aspects of your life. And in dating, what can make dating really difficult is betrayal can happen. This happens sometimes when people either overpromise or underdeliver and underdeliver. I did this with Abby. We were sophomores in our spring semester. Um, we had become at least kind of close friends. I accidentally, I, I know I shared this story, but I accidentally texted her because I was, may need to text someone else. You ever do that where you're texting, like texting someone, talking about someone, and you actually text the person you're talking about all the time? It's never got me in trouble because I try to have character when I'm texting as much, right? 
Jesus. Um, and so I actually say, what, should I tell her that I like her? And it went to Abby, and she's like, oh, who is this? I'm like, you know who this is. And so I called her, and we like end up telling each other, oh, we like each other. The weird, it was middle school S for being sophomores in, high, in college. Uh, but then what I did is we ended up having a conversation. Um, it was, again, finals week. And for some reason, we both got to this point of saying, you know what, when we come back from summer break, because I'm going to be Miami, you're going to be in South Africa, went to Miami on a summer crew project. It legitimately was one of the coolest things in my life just to be able to go and serve in Jesus and, and, and share the gospel with people. But we said, when we get back this fall, we'll start, not even dating, we'll be boyfriend. Like we said the words boyfriend, girlfriend. And I overpromised. And I said, I'm going to call you and contact you every single week. And I overpromised. And I failed on those promises. I failed miserably, and I broke trust. And there's an aspect of being able to build back up trust I'll get to later, but that's how betrayal can happen. Ecclesiastes 5.5 says, it's better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Betrayal happens when we don't see a breakup coming. Maybe you've been dating for a long time. Maybe you've, you're sitting here, you felt betrayed, and you've experienced betrayal in a romantic relationship. You've been dating for a while, you've had the marriage conversation, and out of nowhere, you just get slammed. It's over. It's done. Betrayal happens also when boundaries have been crossed or cheating happens. When there's real hurt. When you find out something about the person that you've been involved with that you didn't think could be true. And there's betrayal. And so I want to say, if you've been betrayed and you even are sitting and experiencing that, I want to say, I'm sorry. I'll go back to what Brennan said last week. You're not alone. You are not at fault. You are still lovable and worthy to be loved. And so how do we go through the, a healing process when we experience betrayal? Number one, we cry out to God. When David experienced complete broken trust, he wrote Psalm 55 and it says, but I call to God and the Lord saves me. Evening and morning and noon, I cry out in distress and he hears my voice. And I'm not saying one time, all of a sudden things are going to be great. But I think a part of the healing process is to cry out to God, to express the reality of the feelings and emotions and pain that you have, the distress that you experience, and to be reminded as David knew, the Lord hears me. He hears me when I call. The second thing you can do is be honest with yourself. One, if you were the one who was betrayed, be honest with that reality. Recognize that you have been hurt, and in that, no, it wasn't your fault, like I said, it's not with you, but if they've wronged you, something that you can do, I would say and argue, and this can be really difficult, and there's not a timeline on this, but then con confront them about it. Be honest about it. When this happened, I felt this. When you said those words, when you did that thing, I felt betrayed. And trust was broken. If you were someone who has betrayed someone else, do a soul check. I think God is calling us when we fail and when we hurt people, he calls us to repentance. And what's beautiful about who our God is is he forgives us and still loves us. But we need to be honest. We need to admit. And then ultimately, and Brennan had a great message on this and I'm not gonna get too huge into it, in our Grace and Truth series last fall, he had a message on forgiveness. You want to experience true, real, full healing in the midst of betrayal? If you've been hurt, confront them and forgive them. I'm not going to, it's not easy. If you've been the one who betrayed, 
Ask for forgiveness. Romans 12 tells us that we need to do everything within our own will. Everything on our part, he says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So there's no promise that the person who hurt you is going to offer up or want even to, to, to ask for your forgiveness. There's no promise that the person that you hurt is going to forgive you. You can't control that. But you can, as long as it depends on you, try to live at peace with everyone. You want healing in the midst of betrayal. And there's no timeline on this. Sometimes it takes a really long time and that's okay. And the third thing I gotta do with this one really quickly to get through betrayal, I think we have to date in community. I think one, what that does is when there's been betrayal, you have a sense of, of followers of Jesus around you to encourage you and to support you, to be there with you. Maybe just to come and sit by you and say nothing. But also, dating community gives this sense in reality of I think we can stop some heavy betrayal sometimes when we allow the community and those around us that we trust to speak into our dating relationships. I think too often and too quickly, we enter into isolation when we enter into this dating process. Remember, dating is evaluation. I'm recognizing, saying, man, is this someone I can commit my life to for marriage? But we run into isolation. So we don't allow the voices, the the community that we have allowed us to surround us, those who love Jesus, to, to have a voice into our dating relationship. And why that's important is they tend to see things and we'll be able to see things that you can't because they're not in the relationship. I've been a part of conversations with people where I'm on the outside and been able to see, you know what, I see this thing about them. It's a little, it's a red flag. Be, just recognize it. And I've had people who've received that, have been able to address it, to see it and recognize it. And I have people who said, you're absolutely wrong. And it's been hard on our relationship. But community is for, and then finally, we enter into, again, when breakups are difficult and hard, but we can do them well. Betrayal sucks, but we can receive healing. And the last one we need to do and what makes it really hard are boundaries. And boundaries hard, honestly, because when we think immediately about boundaries, we just immediately think of sex. Like, it's just the physical aspect of, our, of, our, of the romantic relationship of the dating process. It just is sex. And what's hard about that is we in the church tend to not talk about sex, either period or well. That's just real. And what makes it really difficult is that we live in a culture that idolizes sex. I once have heard that pornography is the wallpaper of our society. It's everywhere. It's absolutely everywhere. It's actually a norm that, and you'll see this sometimes in Christian circles, an affirmation of premarital sex. You see, it's almost universally accepted that if you cheat on someone, if you commit adultery once you've been married, that's like no go. You almost, not even in the church, culturally. Like that's like, what are you doing? Horrible, betrayed. And yet, within those same circles, church or not, or just culture, premarital sex sex is affirmed. And so it makes boundaries like weird. It's like, well, what am I supposed to do? And what we don't realize is, and and there's studies that have come out, and evidence that shows that people who wait until marriage to have sex end up with more stable marriages. They're more satisfied with their relationships and are happier with the quality of sex after marriage. And that doesn't even get into the reality of masturbation and porn and lust. There are studies out that literally show us and tell us that porn, watching porn leads to addiction. It lowers sexual satisfaction. It increases loneliness. It increases infidelity and it increases divorce. These are legit studies that have taken place. And so what makes boundaries hard is that in the church, because we don't know how to talk about sex, we have just said, don't do it. 
And that's it. And so you get people like my wife for 20 years has been told, don't have sex, don't have sex, don't have sex, don't have sex. And then gets married and all she has in her head and she, we needed to go through like healing of this, of like, well, all she was told was sex was bad, that she shouldn't have. And now when she's able to, it's this weird stigma thing. And we like had to have conversations about it. And so it's readjusting, redefining what sex is. It's a recognition that it's this opportunity for continual and, and, and deep intimacy, but in the right context. And God did that on purpose. He gave us a context for sex, which is in the marital covenant to protect us. It's not because he's not fun. It's not because he doesn't want us to experience everything that can be experienced in life and what, what makes us human. It's, it's made and, and given to us, it's God's design for sex in us to be in a context that is helpful for us and that allows us to be able to use it in a way that creates healthy relationship. Another thing that's really hard about boundaries is that we tend to believe um, that Boundaries, again, like I said, are just about sex or only about the physical nature, but they're hard to keep because we don't think of boundaries as being holistic. I'm gonna go through this one real quick. What I mean by this is this. We are holistic beings. We don't just have a physical body. We are emotional. We are spiritual. We are social, which is to be relational. We are intellectual. And when we haven't set up holistic boundaries, we tend to experience severe betrayal and or breakup. And it's really hard. Because what tends to happen is that we'll create these physical or sexual boundaries. We'll, we'll try to even do it healthily and, and try to do it well. But what we won't do then is create emotional or spiritual boundaries. And so all of a sudden, I'm having coffee with someone, with someone that I'm dating, that I'm pursuing and, and evaluating the relationship. And what I'll do is I'll just bear my entire soul immediately. I, I tell the deep, dark secrets of what has happened in my life. And it creates an emotional connection and bond um, that ultimately leads to dissatisfaction because there's been no promise of commitment. So anytime physical, spiritual, or emotional boundaries get crossed, those lines get crossed, when we do that, it, it does create a connection. And the further you go, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually, the deeper the connection happens. And ultimately that leads to dissatisfaction because there's been no level of commitment made. It brings doubt, it brings pain, it brings frustration. Ben Stewart says the severity of the breakup is not tied to the amount of time you date, but the intensity of the experience. So when I emotionally give everything to this person, but we haven't had sex, but I still emotionally give, if a breakup happens, there's deep pain and hurt. Deep pain and hurt. And because we're holistic beings, why it helps to try to create healthy, holistic boundaries is if emotionally I start to just be vulnerable and expose everything I am and we share and there's, there's deep connection, automatically what will tend to happen is our physical aspect of who we are as human beings will want to catch up. Because we make it up in our mind, and this is just who we are as, as, as humans, that the only next way, that the deeper level we can go is, is to be able to now entertain and enter into the physical aspect of a relationship. Because emotionally, we've done everything we can. Everything we can. And again, I wish I could say, like, here's some specific things you can do to create healthy, holistic boundaries. I'm going to give some examples, but ultimately, like, you have to know yourself. 
there were different seasons in me and Abby's relationship where we had to change the boundaries. Like three months before we got married, we couldn't be in, like, we could not be in a car alone. I'm not joking. I'm not. I knew we were getting married. And the temptation for me to want to just do whatever I could, like, we're going we're gonna to have sex in three months anyway, that went in my head. And so we changed what boundary looks like, and we invited community into those. They were able to speak into our life and what that looked like. And so how to even start setting boundaries or even approaching what it looks like to have boundaries. One, we have to date with autonomy. We have to date with autonomy. And here's what that means. Autonomy is you're still single until you've made the covenant before God um, and even before people to enter into the marriage. So what you need to do is stop making decisions about what's next for each other during the dating process. To date with autonomy, ultimately, is to say, I'm not giving you all of me because we haven't made that commitment, we have not made the covenant, and you're not giving me all of you. Because when we don't date with autonomy, when we don't set up healthy, holistic boundaries, what ends up happening is we become dependent on each other. And dependency leads to not being able to break up well, which ultimately leads to heavy, deep, hurt and frustration and doubt, which ultimately then leads to not being able to enter into the dating process again well, because there's a time that takes to, to enter into healing. Some just little quick things before we close um, on this idea of boundaries and what this could look like for you. Uh, I do believe, and, and we believe that premarital sex is not something um, that will help you be more compatible to figure out if you guys can fit together a couple. Guess what? If you're a man and a woman, you fit. Science. Um, <laughs> sorry. And so know yourself. Like I, My number one love language is physical touch. Man, I'll hug people all day. I, I love hugging people. I go up to Brennan and make him uncomfortable because I want to hug him all the time. I do. Like, I, I just, I'm a physical touch guy. So I didn't know that about myself when we were in the dating relationship. Because there were aspects like holding hands. That was great. Like, it was, it was great. And we started to kiss. It's like, what I recognized, like, I can't be alone and kiss my wife because I want to keep moving further. So we had to set up specific, we, we knew each other. And we had to know each other. And I had to know myself. But like, I would argue that a good rule would be, hey, don't be by yourself in a room alone late at night in a dating romantic relationship. I think that's a good rule of thumb. But then what does it look like to kind of set up a little bit of some emotional or even spiritual boundary? A spiritual boundary that is really healthy, one is to recognize that you guys shouldn't be the primary spiritual voices in each other's life in a romantic relationship. Because what that does is that honestly, it, it, it uh, excommunicates you from community. It gets you away from the people who should be speaking to your life. And honestly, because our, the spiritual nature of who we are as people is so beautiful, that when we allow ourselves in romantic relationship to be the only voice, to be the primary companion and the spiritual side of relationship, when we only talk to that person about Jesus, again, it creates an unhealthy, I think, over time especially, but an unhealthy connection that will immediately want to speed up the emotion, that will want to speed up the physical nature of the relationship. You shouldn't be the primary spiritual companion for each other. I would say make a commitment to just open up slowly. I know it's hard, and there's moments like going to get caught, you just want to share, especially if you've done already the immediate evaluation of like, man, I love Jesus, they love Jesus. They're passionate about Jesus, I'm passionate about Jesus. It's hard to go slow. So try to be patient in it as slow as you can. I would say it's unhealthy to talk about marriage all the time at the beginning of a relationship. 
set that boundary. And then there comes a point in your relationship like where you've done the evaluation, you've recognized where you're at. And you start talking about, hey, like, you know what? I want to commit to you. Like, that's what weird, it's weird about engagement. Engagement is just, I'm going to commit to a commitment I'm going to make later. Like, that's what engagement is. Like, I'm committing to you now by putting a ring on your finger to say, I'm going to make a commitment later. You're still technically single. But it's just a next step in the process. And again, this stuff changes. It's not super black and white. I struggle sometimes even having conversations because a lot of people want me to say, well, just tell me exactly what to do. It's like, I can't. Give you some examples. I can tell you what we did. But what we want so much is a, a, a like plug and play process of dating. And what that will do to us is co- either co- have us coast along in a relationship, which then you won't experience the beauty of what a dating relationship can be. Or you'll become super legalistic to the point of you actually won't experience the joy of what could come in a dating relationship in the process of evaluation to see if you could be married to one another. The band's going to come up. We're going to end with the song called Gyra. It's a beautiful song about the reality of God being our provider. And I think no matter what I said, talking through breakups and betrayal and having boundaries and what that could look like, if we don't date prayerfully, the whole thing is moot. If we don't date prayerfully from the initiation of that start of that relationship through the process of it, even to the end, whether that's clarity at the end of should we be married or clarity at the end of should we break up. If we're not praying, I think we're setting ourselves up for disappointment. I talk to too many people who say they're frustrated and disappointed because they can't figure out how to date well. Like, I don't know how to balance my responsibilities with work and friends and family and and, and have a dating relationship. I keep falling into the same temptation over and over again, when in reality, what has happened is that is true for a lot of us. What we don't do is we're not praying. (laughs) What prayer does in the process of dating, in our dating relationships, it reminds us who should be our first relationship, and that is Jesus. It reprioritizes the order of what our relationship should be. It's like my first and foremost relationship is Jesus. It helps me remember through prayer and the dating process that I will not find complete fulfillment and satisfaction in another person, in my future spouse, because I can only be found in Jesus. When I pray, it's I'm not looking for something in someone else that only Jesus can give. And in prayer, what's beautiful, and I think what's actually really, really incredible, is God tells us that if we lack wisdom, we can come and ask God because he gives generously to all of those without reproach. Ask and he will give. He brings clarity through the process. So be prayerful in the midst of relationship. I'll pray for you guys as you figure out what relationships look like for you. And not just singleness and dating and marriage, but even in family. Man, my prayer for you and will always be, would you find your complete satisfaction and fulfillment in Jesus? Because as you prioritize him, doesn't mean dating is going to be easier. Doesn't mean dating is going to work out perfectly. It doesn't mean even in that as, as Jaira, the Lord God, who is our provider, will provide you with the perfect spouse. What that means is you will be continually coming back to him, prioritizing him in a way that says, Jesus, you are number one. And I'm going to trust you through the process, singleness, dating, or marriage always coming back to him being more than enough for you. Let's stand and sing together.